hockey show. Maybe it's not. This is Jim Garrity. I'm with Mickey White. We know we haven't done this in a while. We did a thing on video on Facebook a little while back. And we're kind of getting back in the swing of things on an improvisational ad hoc basis. So there's your welcome. There's our warm welcome, Mickey. I was going to say, well, Jim, that was really um, warm and cuddly. Look, there's obviously something missing from our normal show. And that, of course, is Big Dave Perkins. He has been a huge part of the Jim and Mickey show. In fact, there would be no Jim and Mickey show or T-Jams without him. However, um, Dave has been so gracious to work with us over the last several years. Um, But his time just does not allow it right now, and we respect that. But Jim and I have decided to carry on, so to speak. Um, So we are going to continue the torch of the Jim and Mickey show, and it will be evolving and it will be changing in the first couple episodes, I'm not going to lie. They might be a little rough, guys. Um, But please bear with us, and I think that you're going to find that it's worth it. Hollywood reboots with younger actors. Um, So this is like... You know, not younger actors. And I was going to say, I, how does that even compare? Because I'm definitely not <laughs> younger than the last time we spoke. Um, let's also point out that, you know, Dave is like the most perfect, experienced, you know, longtime career radio professional. And we felt bad. I, I don't know, but speaking for myself, Mickey, I felt I felt using his talents and never paying him. Oh, my God. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, so. you know, the fact that he uh, certainly, you know, believed in us enough and 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 whatnot and supported us and believed in our show enough to stay with us as long as he was able to do. Um, I, I cannot say how grateful and thankful that I am. But again, I totally understand when family and personal you know, responsibilities come before what I guess and most people would consider this is play. Yeah. So about a week and a half ago, I did a uh, how to uh, conservative podcasting school put on by the Leadership Institute and a variety of other fine institutions. Talked a lot about uh, the Jim and Mickey show and three martini lunch and stuff like that. And there were a couple of people who asked, when are you and Mickey coming back? So this is the format format. But it was I I had described as uh, somebody who I had thought had wasted a lot of time paying attention to the likes of Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. Wait, can I stop you before we get into this? Sure. People asked about us? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, like, you know, as in like, hey, we missed the show. Mickey, we have a fan base. or had a I fan know. Base. I know. I mean, I know we do. But like, you know how fickle people can be. So the idea that you were out in public speaking at one of your events, you know, because as we all know, Jim is the Jim Garrity. Um, <laughs> and someone actually brings up. Now, did they mention me by name or did they just say like that girl you have the podcast? With? No, that you by name. Let's let's uh, let's, right. let's feed Mickey's ego here. A bit. I was going to say, should we pause now and allow everyone to clap? Take a moment. Sure. Um, very nice, very nice. Well, thank you. Yeah, whoever is and, asking um, about this. And, and, I and I'd be lying how it was, if I you know, this didn't was... mention those on Twitter and Facebook and others social medias um, that have reached out to me wanting to know when we were coming back. Well, we're back. Yep. So um, I described you as a what somebody who I had thought had wasted her time, spending an enormous amount of time of watching, keeping up with the Kardashians. And more or less knowing uh, just an extensive amount about uh, Kanye West. And little did I know, Mickey, that you are actually becoming an expert on the preeminent political science figures of the year 2018. Uh, and, you know, and, and all things Kanye world. But so Kanye, just a couple of days ago, said, no, I'm done with politics. Mm-hmm. And I, all of a sudden, I was like, you know what? I actually need to hear from Mickey on this. Um, so oh, I, wow. I Once kept an again, eye on this. Like, you're feeding my happened? ego. Yeah. But I'll take it. So what happened there, Mickey? Where would you like me to start, Jim? I mean, legitimately, let's start with Kanye. All right. Let's start with Kanye. What we know about Kanye. Kanye is a musical genius. Kanye writes mostly about Kanye. Kanye's favorite topic is, in fact, Kanye. Um, Kanye is a master marketer. Um, He is fantastic at manipulating the media. In many ways, he and Trump are very similar. I was going to say, their Oval Office (laughs) meeting... I really mm-hmm. felt like Kanye and Trump just looked at each other and it was like game, like game. Oh yeah. Like, Oh yeah. Again, I think that dragon energy thing or whatever, that's what it is. The two of them get it. Um, but at the same time, I, I think that what ultimately happened here is that one Kanye was bound to get bored with it. And I think that what people in our world in the, in the quasi political world, 
were looking to Kanye to start making a statement to tell people, you know, that that it was okay, obviously, you know, to not vote Democrat and kind of moving to that direction and, and showing up at the White House and wearing a MAGA hat. And but when he did his Saturday Night Live appearance, he also wore a Kellen Kaepernick T-shirt with his MAGA hat. <laughs> And I think what people were missing is like in Kanye's mind and in Kanye's world, like he's above politics. Um, I mean, he calls himself Jesus, people. Yeah. Um, so he's above politics. So in his mind, he's legitimately trying to bring people together. Like, hey, there's stuff that, you know, Trump can do for us that's good, but that doesn't mean I don't support Kaepernick as well, you know, like a normal person that, you know, you can have varying opinions. Um, and in his case, he also, you know, has the money and the clout to kind of throw those topics into our everyday language, again, much like Trump. Um, in this case, when I read those tweets, um, after knowing what happened over the last couple of days with the quote, Blexit. Mm. Um, design that made it very clear to me what had happened. And I think, you know, it, I don't know if we want to name names here or not, but the people who actually created the Blexit movement, which was, you know, the black exit from the Democrat party, which I think is hilarious, by the way, um, you know, a playoff of Brexit, whatever. Um, the problem is those people made it seem as though Kanye West designed the logo. I was going to say, we, you know, I, I think we can come out and say Con, uh, Candace Owens was the one who had said uh, in some remarks, you know, this I believe it was page six of, of the New York Post had said this design was uh, this this logo was designed by my good, close personal friend, Kanye West or something along those lines. Yeah. And uh, West was like, nope, wasn't me. No. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> and that and what it ended up happening. And she eventually clarified um, that she apparently had asked him about the design. He turned her down. But he did introduce her to another designer who helped her out. So ultimately, she got her design done. Everything was done. The mistake here was made by Ms. Owens. She chose to suggest whether, and I believe intentionally, but because obviously Kanye's name carries a lot of free media weight. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know what her intentions were. What I do know is that she implied that Kanye designed it and he did not. And he saw that as one represent, false representation of him, his image. Um, you certainly don't want to use his name without his permission. And especially on a design. Like, it's like she's never heard of him. Uh, because the one thing that he protects the most is his artwork, his names, and his designs. Like, probably more than his children. <laughs> and so the fact that she went after that in particular I thought was really silly. But anyway... He obviously saw all of that as kind of a betrayal. And I think that he realized, like, people were trying to use him to send the message. He said, you know, people were sending a message that I don't support. And I think people were trying to tie him to the idea that he had suddenly created the, the Blexit movement, mm -hmm. that all blacks should exit, you know, the Democrat Party. And I don't think he wants to have any part of that. Like, that's not who he is. Like, he, he loves free thinking. He loves the idea of, you know, black conservatives because they go against the grain. Does that make sense? Oh, that it, doesn't necessarily mean that he agrees with them politically. Yeah, I was going to say that, the look, there's been a great deal of cynicism uh, about this from the moment Kanye became uh, more openly political. But I, my suspicion is that I, I'll take him at his word that he genuinely believed what he was saying at the time, that uh, that he has always been somebody who, you know, like you don't become who he is by going with the flow right you know this this mentality of i'm going to do my own thing and as a result of that look Absolutely. if you're if you're african-american and not a democrat you, you're pretty much in the minority and you're probably going to get some pushback from other african-americans over that sort of thing so um i, I guess i'm not surprised at that I, I, do you think how much do you think his future long-term career in in music and in design and fashion and, and all the other things that he's got going on. Um, do you think this was a, oh, this is this is ruining my appeal to my traditional audience? Or do you think this genuinely was, whoa, I really don't know these people who are now, now using my name to sell stuff uh, and recoiling from that? The latter. Yeah. Um, I think that he did not realize, and again, look, 
Kanye is a very special individual, right? I think we can all agree on that. Um, and he thinks differently than the rest of us. So I don't think it's normal to apply the same kind of thought process that normal people have to the things that he does. Um, but he's a musical genius for a reason. Like, mm -hmm. he thinks differently. He goes against the grain. He does things that no one ever thought he could do. And um, I believe I've told you this previously, but in um, the mixtape that he dropped in June, one of um, – actually, it was before that. It was during the, the lead-up to it. One of the, the songs that he put together has a line that says, I know Barack Obama was heaven sent, but when Trump won, I realized I could be president. <laughs> Because if anyone has proven that any child in America can grow up to be president, it was Donald Trump. Um, Correct. You know, the, I, I guess one of the other things that kind of, you know, maybe a good kind of uh, uh, exit question as they used to yell at each other on the McLaughlin group. So where yeah. does this leave everybody? Where does this leave Kanye? Where does this leave the folks who are celebrating Kanye as this uh, uh, signifier of dramatic political change? Uh, where does this leave, you know, the MAGA crowd? All we're, we're, Where does everybody go from here, Mickey? Here's what I'm hoping ha happens. So, you know, the opposite of that will happen. Um, here's what I'm hoping happens. I'm hoping that Kanye goes back to making his music, doing designs, being a great husband to Kim, and taking care of those beautiful children that they have. Uh, and I'm hoping that the rest of the world recognizes whatever side you fell on politically – that Kanye is Kanye. If you like his music, listen to it. If you like his designs, buy his clothes. If you find him entertaining, read his tweets, watch the shows that he's on, see his videos. If you don't, don't. But do not look to him to be someone who is, I would even go so far as to say, like, he's, 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 he's borderline not even really a role model in many ways. But... <laughs> Um, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, I definitely yeah, I would so. not go to him for political advice. Um, and I certainly wouldn't count on him to stay with me through a cause, um, that is not something that he personally believes in. Now I do look to see him getting much more involved on the local level, um, in Chicago now that he's got a place there again. And I know he's already doing things with Chance the Rapper who is also from Chicago. So um, I do expect you're going to see a lot more activity from him and money being dumped into the Chicago area because of what, again, but that's his hometown. That's who he named his daughter after. So, you know, honestly, this is so fantastic, Jim. I just have to tell you, I want to take a, just a second here to once again, savor this moment in time where I am, you know, the wealth of knowledge provided <laughs> to you. Everything you need to know. And and to our listeners and to those of you who have questioned me over the years, how much smarter did you feel than everybody else when you knew at least some of these players in the story? I, I did, in fact, yes. And I you know, in a way, like it was it was almost inevitable that some figure would look at what Trump did and not just say I'm gonna run for president or something like that, but just a recognition that um that the old rules were out the window. And that if you were, you know, uh, if you if you want that what he, you know, for him to say, what does he say, you know, that like wearing that hat made me feel like Superman or something like that, you know, like, you know, you, you want to stand out in this era, um, you know, a, someone taking a stance in favor of the president from a demographic that is usually not supportive of this president uh, is definitely going to stand out. Now, well, I mean, it also proves the fact that we've known for a thousand years, which is like, if you really want to be rebellious, tell people you're a Republican. Yeah, well, okay, so this is maybe a good segue to another topic you uh, had expressed interest in. This notion that there are things we're not allowed to say anymore. And I guess maybe it's, you know, I think there, there are many folks who would say that, yes, in addition to the usual um, words and language that are, are considered uh, inappropriate and, you know, uh, periodically needing to remind older relatives that Oriental is a type of rug, not a person, um, you end up with... Uh, you know, the, the question is like, is the list of what we're uh, is the list of socially unacceptable things now getting longer than the list of socially acceptable uh, viewpoints, yes. topics and things like that? I mean, I think there are things that we should, as you know, this one, there shouldn't be rules about what you can say, but there are. Um, and that's primarily because people have no idea how to act civil. So you have to give them rules and then they follow them. Um, those rules and social norms are what keep us moving forward as a civilization. 
currently there seems to be some type of lapse in all of that. And people don't really know how to act or interact with people. Um, and, you know, it's weird because there are certain things, obviously, you know, there's certain racial slurs and ethnic slurs that everybody knows. Like, just you just don't say that because it's inappropriate yeah. and it's disrespectful and there's a million reasons not to say it. Um, but there are other things that people say that they may not even necessarily realize um, may come off as being predetermined as sexist or racist or whatever you want to call it is um, depending on the situation. Uh, and I think it's important for us as a people to, to at some point realize, cause I mean, I have these conversations with my friends all the time and I will say something and my friend Christiana will look at me and say, you're not allowed to say that anymore, Mickey, mm. or you're uh, just not allowed to say that. Yeah. And she will explain to me that, you know, there's reasons you can't say these things. And sometimes it's as simple as, you know, they're having a boy. <laughs> and she'll look at me and say, you're not allowed to say that anymore. Mm. And, and you know, to some degree, obviously, she's mocking me. Um, we have a good laugh over it. But, I mean, are we allowed to say that anymore? Because, you know, in New York, now you can check choose not to say at birth. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think most, I, I think, look, let me, you know, let, let me put all the appropriate caveats and, and prefaces and all that kind of stuff. You're always so much better about that than I am. Well, I mean, you know, okay. So when you talk about, you know, knowing how to act and how to act right, um, there's a meme on the internet. And, you know, maybe if we put this up on the Facebook, I'll, I'll find it and put it up there. That's a civil war reenactment where someone has shown up in the form of a stormtrooper from Star Wars. And uh, the, the, the caption is just, we're getting, I guess this is social media. I guess we, I'll, I'll use a word instead, but you know which word I mean. We're getting real tired of your stuff, Dave. Yeah. Uh, is the caption there. The idea that, you know, there's some person who's got to do something different from everybody else. Somebody who's got to kind of push the envelope or something like that. Everybody else there was going there for a civil war uh, reenactment. And clearly Dave, clearly not Dave Perkins. Uh, believe that this was a good op opportunity to play a joke and say, "Oh, I'm at the I'm at the Galactic Civil War reenactment." Ha <laughs> ha. Um, so if you're, you know, uh, you feel like you've been born in the wrong body, and you identify, you, you're absolutely convinced you are a woman, and you're stuck in a man's body, or you think you're a man, you're and you're stuck in a woman's body. That must really suck. That must be really difficult to go through. And I hope you find a happy Dad. place in life where you feel accepted. That having been said, because most people don't feel that way and they're quite comfortable with whatever gender they were born into, the idea of, of switching, changing, or needing a menu of, of, was it 37 different options on Facebook <laughs> at one point? This strikes yeah, people as really weird. And so, like, yeah, this doesn't just, like, you know, somebody once said, uh, you know, if, if uh, Caitlyn Jenner walked, you know, entered, entered a room, would you open the door for her? And, you know, this is, you know, I, my, my attitude would be, or, you know, what, what pronoun should you use for someone who has transitioned? Well, and it depends I don't on think... them and what they prefer. Like in, in the case of Caitlyn yes. Jenner, she prefers she, although she recognizes that certain members of her family, you know, aren't going to use the, the female pronouns. Yeah. If you met Caitlyn Jenner, it would be very rude to go up and say, Bruce, right. you're really Bruce. Yes, exactly. Like, like that would just be a dickish thing to do. So yeah, don't exactly. do that. Having said that, for everybody else, say, like, I think I was at one, there was some lefty conference where the, the rules were never assume anybody's gender. Um, okay. And so even if you'd met them before and they identified as male before, don't assume. And it was just, you could see how this taken too far. Like most people are used to, uh, Mickey, I saw you yesterday. You're a woman. I figured today you're still a woman, uh, that that was not likely to change. And the idea in which these things are fluid and changing and sometimes changing from one or back or, you know, this, this is a real difficult concept for a lot of people to get their minds around. I'd be right. nice everyone to be just a little more. Hey, right, you ready for my big bomb in this conversation? Yeah. All right, listeners, I hope you lean in close because here's what's, <laughs> here's what's going to piss all y'all off. Here's my question, Jim, mm -hmm. and I'm going to try to phrase this as gently as possible because, as you know, you're not allowed to say a lot of things anymore. Um, but we are encouraged as a society 
to if someone has transitioned, that we absolutely are in, required to call that man to woman or woman to man the man or woman that they now are, right? They don't want to be trans male. They don't want to be trans female. They want to be known as females and males. And yeah. we as a society are being told we absolutely must accept them in because that's what they are, correct? I think that's an accurate assessment, Mickey. Okay. What then happens to the people like the Rachel Dolenses of the world who has decided that she's a black woman for no apparent reason? Like, are we to then actually supposed to look at her and say, like, okay, that's all right because she really thinks she's a black woman or do we, like, she needs help or are we think because I don't think, I don't think I heard anyone come out during that time and say, like, she's racist. Mm-hmm. Oh, 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 well, okay, definitely there are a lot of folks who said, yeah, no, I, there was an extraordinarily negative response. I think that can be accurately said. I think that, right. yeah, I mean, to, to those of us who don't really share this philosophy of identity politics, the idea that gender could be selected, but racial identity could not, uh, seems really weird. And maybe there's a particular senator from, from Massachusetts that really puts this right. in conundrum. Um, but you know, here's the, okay, so, like, how is that okay? That's not okay. Well. Here's you can't the, say that, like, and again, you're not allowed to be something that you're not, so to speak, right? Everything is cultural appropriation. We just got over Halloween, and of course, there are millions of things you can't wear anymore. Um, if I could wear them all at one time, <laughs> I would. I would wear every one of the, like, and, and maybe sometime I'll actually be able to put together, like, the perfectly un-PC Halloween costume. Where I will have, you know, feathers in my hair. I'll have a um, a jewel in my forehead. Um, maybe another jewel in my nose. Um, maybe I'll go and spray tan a couple times. Um, and, uh, and, and before anybody starts judging me, I'd like all of you to know that you pictured it and you knew what I was planning on being. <laughs> Um, I, it's, I, I, there's a, there's a certain attitude that, uh, identity of politics as it has been practiced for the past generation or two is going to become unsustainable as the country gets more, becomes more multiracial, meaning in the sense of, uh, blacks marry whites, whites marry Latinos, whites marry Asians, Asians. All these different groups that everyone will have such, you know, diversity within their immediate family, never mind going back X number of generations, that they won't be able to correctly identify with only one particular ethnic group. And, um, you know, while we might kind of scoff at uh, Elizabeth Warren for saying she's so proud of her uh, Native American heritage that, at least according to the genetic results, is a very small, small fraction of her uh, of her total identity, you know, it, it, actually a bunch of the, uh, the ancestry.com and 21 and me and all these, you know, genetic identifying, yeah. you know, all these genetics, uh, re research, uh, uh, you know, tests are saying, you know, I thought I was Irish, but it turns out I'm Italian or something like that. Right. And, and so it's kind of interesting how like one, maybe our perception of our identity is much more shaped by the stories we're told by our parents and, and all that kind of stuff than what we actually are, right? My um, Oh, without a doubt. And one of the, one right? of my favorite shows is Who Do You Think You Are? Mm. Um, and it's kind of, you know, a finding your roots type thing. They, they're both the same kind of show where they take celebrities and do a DNA test and then they walk them back through their genealogy. And it's fascinating because they do have a lot of black celebrities on there and the majority of them come up with a significant amount of European DNA or you know, white DNA because of obviously, you know, things that had happened over the years, not necessarily coming from a good place, but that's just the reality. Mm -hmm. Like the majority of black people that are walking around have a significant amount of, um, of, of European blood in them as well. Some American Indian. Um, I think it's fascinating because exactly what you said, like without that, right. Those people don't, don't identify as like half European. Yeah, that's, you know, and, and so the question will eventually, maybe this will all become something you like, maybe ethnic, or certainly heritage identity. Maybe that's the best way of describing yes. it will become as selected 
as gender identity can be selected in certain communities now. That that idea or, that like, yeah. And here's my weird thought. Or it actually becomes more of a melting pot as, you know, the original melting pot for America was, and let's be honest, that everybody could come here and work side by side, but we didn't really want you dating our daughters. Yeah. There was a lot of that. There was a lot of, you know, and that was from the Irish to the Italians, you know, um, certainly black neighborhoods, you name it. Like everybody had their lines drawn. Right. So in a sense, a melting pot, but not the kind of melting that, you know, we're seeing now where in my family alone, you know, I'm thinking of all of the different races and ethnicities and backgrounds and religions and, you know, even compared to a generation ago, it's unbelievably changed. Yeah. And, and we live in a world where, you know, it, it'll be very interesting. To, you know, we, we've heard the argument, in fact, the, the fight going on at Harvard right now about uh, whether their policies of affirmative action are discriminatory to Asian Americans. Mm. Uh, here is a group that I think you can safely can say you, is. Can you explain that a little more to sure. me and those of us who are not 100% sure what, because I've read it, but I don't fully understand it. Sure. The very short version is Harvard, and, and it's being used as kind of an example of what the, the kind of practices and thinking at a lot of uh, prominent and elite universities. Um, a lot of applications, they, they sort through them and they try to select, you know, a, a class that they feel is, you know, sufficiently racially diverse. Um, now, this means you're going to have to have slightly different standards for different groups. And, you know, previous lawsuits and things that have gone all the way up to the Supreme Court have pointed out that, look, you end up having slightly lower requirements for test scores, slightly re lower requirements for GPA, et cetera, for members of minority groups than you do for whites, with one glaring exception, uh, at least at least one. I suppose some might say whether Jews are in this category as well. Asian Americans uh, generally perform really, really well in school and uh, uh, and, this, and apply to these schools. And a few smaller percentage of Asian Americans get accepted to schools like Harvard than if it was simply strictly on merit and nobody knew what their uh, no. If it was a blind test, it was simply based on test scores. That is and, fascinating, right? And so there's this argument amongst certain Asian Americans. And by the way, there's there's worth noting considerable disagreement in the Asian American community about this. Uh, but basically, Asian America is like, whoa, 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 you, you set up this system for diversity, but it's actually holding us back. It's actually excluding more of us than it's excluding of the whites. Um, and I believe that there's one analysis of it that basically said that if it was simply based on test scores and GPA, half the, uh, the freshman class at Harvard would be Asian. Uh, and that, you know, we can argue about whether that's wow. you know, cultural or, or so. Look, I, yeah, I think it's safe to say that Asian Americans, you know, there are a considerable number of them do phenomenally well in school and obviously are, are you know, that. But and, but what would, would uh, you know, it's been a long time since I applied to college. We all remember the, the brochures. You had this like perfectly diverse group that was always on the cover. I remember having to go to like a diversity seminar mm. as part of orientation. Where they uh, taught me how I was to be, because keep in mind, like, I, obviously, Pennsylvania, I grew up in rural Pennsylvania, went to a state school, not a, you know, Ivy League school, um, or even one in the Patriot League. Nope, just a state school. So they brought us in, and there was a big diversity seminar where, again, I was taught that, you know, I should be nice to gay people and people of different colors and backgrounds and religions, and they had little skits, and it was sad as hell but it was part of the orientation at that time i have a feeling it's probably changed quite a bit since then yeah by the way okay, you're gonna hear a lot of folks on the right um as a bash of this be, be extraordinarily critical of this i'll throw out you know a, a minute moment of everybody will everybody would like to be part of something that is welcoming to all Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think back to, you know, never mind college, the high school. Um, so it's so surprising. You know, as, as listeners know, I was a theater geek. I was uh, performing in plays and musicals. <laughs> and everyone says, ah, the, uh, oh, boys in drama club. This is before Glee and all that kind of stuff. Let me point out, well, all of you guys are practicing in your garage band. Those of us who were in the theater were changing down to our underwear backstage with the hottest girls in class. And uh, we knew what we were doing all along. Mm -hmm. Um but it, so there was, I remember there was a, uh, you know, African-American friend of mine who was in the high school choir and, mm -hmm. uh, she had said, yeah, you know, I said, oh, you know, you're, you're a really good singer. You should apply for, uh, apply to be in the musical. And she said, oh, you know, they never make a sister to lead. 
And I just, you know, I, you know, Mickey, you and I have discussed how just, you know, mind-numbingly naive I was uh, about so many things in my my high school years. But mind-numbing kinda, is a great term. Um, but it it just I was just stupefied. I I, I just and I was like the idea. And I and Let me I'll, ask you this, Jim: Were, yeah. Was she the only black girl in your school? No, no. I mean, I would say uh, probably African Americans were no more than five to ten percent. Uh, okay. And so, what mm-hmm. happened? Like to your brain, did it melt? No, because, I, was, I, was, it, I was. Because to our listeners, like you don't recognize, and and you you've learned somewhat over the time. But I know Jim so very very well. And as he was saying, when we say naive, like, <laughs> thank you, Mickey. <laughs> it's it's um, you know some someday we'll have a whole show just on that. Yeah. No, but just a sense of of feeling mortified that somebody would think that the High School Musicals weren't really open to everybody. Um, and, you know, it's worth noting that we, you know, by the way, if you're wondering the, you know, the demographics of my high school off the top of my head and not going back and looking back through the yearbook, I would guess five to 10% black, uh, five to 10, maybe, maybe like 10 to 15% Asian, 10 to 15% Indian American. This is central New Jersey. Um, and, you know, handful of Latinos and probably the rest were white. But the other thing I would note is that this is definitely middle-class New Jersey, 1980s, 90s, and we're all white ethnics. And by that, I mean Irish-American, Italian-American, Polish-German, right. Central Europe. Which are not considering ethnics now, but they yeah. certainly were 100 years ago. Uh, I mean, the just being that it was very much um, not WASP, not, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like there, <laughs> for, you know, people are going to say, there's white and then there's white, right? You know? Right. Um, so, so anyway, so this idea that, oh my goodness, you know, we're doing something <clears throat> that people wouldn't feel welcome in. Um, kind of, kind of horrifying, you know, now things eventually, uh, I, I think I'm pretty sure in some years we've had, uh, minorities end up being leads in the, in the play and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I also should point out, depending on how you want to count them, um, you know, I'd say probably 10 to 15% Jewish, uh, would be the, the, you know, my hometown. Um, so you have this. That is of- so fascinating. Again, only because thinking of the demographics of where I grew right? up. Yeah. And, and um, of course I grew up and I think that's normal. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's, yeah, that uh, every place is like that. And of course, then it turns out, you know, things are, you know, many communities are very, very different from that. Yeah. But anyway, the point being this idea that like, I'm sure everyone who goes to every single school, workplace, social club, community, you'd want everybody to feel like it's open to everybody, welcoming to everybody, um, and that there's no, ex- you know, not, not only no explicit discrimination against people, um, but a, um, you know, any, any implicit or off the books discrimination against people. Um, I, right. I think everyone wants to believe that as a child. Um, at least I did too, to a certain degree. I knew where I grew up, there was racism. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always felt like it was exceptionally unfounded because there were no people of any color around there were very <laughs> it few was black theoretical. People. Yeah, exactly. Like it was like theoretical racism. I'm like, okay, well, let me know when you run into one. Um, and ultimately, like in my small little town, yes, we had maybe four black families. Um, I, I, I know we had several doctors of different Asian descent and Southeast Asian. Um, one of my boyfriends in high school, his father was from the Philippines. Um, so that was, you know, a little scandalous. Um, but his father was also a doctor, so I didn't give a shit. Um, mm. And it, there are things, though, like about growing up in a town like mine where I think it's why I have a very different appreciation of both really anyone with a sense of culture, whether it be black people, Indian people, Asian, it doesn't matter. Um, growing up as white, white red as I felt like I did when these people were in our town, the black people that I knew were doctors lawyers, judges, um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, so it wasn't something where I looked at those people and thought like, oh, people, you know, brown people, as they like to say now, um, you know, aren't successful. The exact opposite is what I thought growing up. Mm. I thought that the brown people were the most successful, um, because there were so few of them. They were all exceptionally, like, they were all professionals and exceptionally well-known in the town. So I mean, again, in in and people you know kind of you know coming back around to that argument, you know, the college admission programs are basically a a form of affirmative action. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
would the child of those African-American doctors in your hometown, Mickey, you know, would they add more diversity to an elite school or would a, you know, poorer, whiter kid from Appalachia uh, add more diversity to uh, to that? You know, how do you actually measure diversity in your uh, in your you know, student body and, and right. what, are you uh, looking at only color or are you yeah. looking at socioeconomic and, you know, status? Yeah. And, and, and that's what people have, you know, when we really talk about what we have in common with others, mm-hmm. socioeconomic status is the thing that if you're going to line it up and talk about people in blocks, that's mm-hmm. really how you most relate. Yeah. Uh, this has gotten kind of deep and heavy, Mickey. <laughs> so. Hey, dude, I can't help it. <laughs> I only go where the conversation no, takes No, that's us. fine. So, all right. So um, I want to talk about something lighter and cheerier. And um, okay. my understanding is you've been watching some uh, programming for television that is heavily into Satanism. Is that, this is that is hilarious. Yes, exactly. Much lighter, much cheerier. I'm about to talk about the darkest shows that I've watched recently. And um, and I understand you have also been watching some things. Yeah. And so, um, so listeners, you know how this works. We try to watch these things in advance. So, you know, either you don't have to. Or, you know, to go ahead and go out and binge it. And, uh, Jim, one of the things you had sent me a little note about um, before we decided to do this was the note about Nathan Fillion doing The Rookie. Sure, yeah. Um, And you know, I huge Castle fan. I Mm -hmm. did not watch Firefly, but I was a huge Castle fan. Can't bring myself to watch The Rookie. Tell me about it. Sure. Um, So I tuned in like you, you you know, uh, enjoyed Castle. Um, may have had a quibble or two with one of those later seasons, but uh, you know, big Firefly fan. Firefly fan. It's what you serve in Mexico. Uh, Firefly fan. Uh, You're not allowed to say Serenity. that anymore. Yeah, as well as Serenity, and uh, even going back to, by the way, two guys, a girl, in a pizza place. This this largely forgotten late '90s, early aughts. Uh, sitcom, show. right? Feature. Think about that. That cast, which had Ryan Reynolds and Nathan Fillion. Uh, in this, you know, in the same show, loved it. Right? I mean, think about how you what you'd have to do to get this, uh, uh, get that crowd around to get, you know, how much you'd have to pay to get that cast again together. Anyway, the just uh, so the rookie, unsurprise, surprise is about a forty-year-old guy who's kind of lived aimlessly, um, is in a bank during a bank robbery, and uh, decides to uh, apply to go to the police academy in Los Angeles and joins the LAPD as a rookie uh, officer. Be, you know, street cop. Uh, with a you know a whole bunch of folks who think he can't make it, doesn't belong, um, that this is him having a midlife crisis or something like that, and he's got to prove himself. And there are two other rookies. Kind of how I feel about his show. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a it is a perfectly likable, um, it, it's a perfectly fine show. I think most people look at it and say, "Wow!" So here's Nathan Fillion, who's car- you know, uh, you know, it's like he's built a lot of goodwill <laughs> with our uh, with his audiences. Doing a show that is perfectly fine, but but kind of generic, kind of cookie cutter cop drama. Um, a lot of scenes to get by with him doing, you know, the Nathan Fillion, not quite mugging, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, just he carries a lot of scenes. Well, he's on very the, adorable in his in just being Nathan Fillion, a, a very castle esque persona. He like uh, Ryan Reynolds, like brings yeah. a lot to each character just by being him. Yeah. Uh, and it's not like the rest of the cast is bad. I, I just, you know, you. If it makes you feel any better, um, Beckett has done a horrible movie. I think it's for Prime. It's like one of their series where it's a movie, but it's eight hours long. Mm. Um, and I think it's called it's called a, a Abstentia. Mm. And I need to let you know it was also awful. I watched um, three episodes of it, and it's a true crime, like, murder drama. And I only made it through three episodes and was like, yeah, I can't watch this. Wow. True crime murder drama, you know, starring uh, uh, Stana Kadic is her name or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's that's right in her, right in your uh, in your alley. And it, Yeah, uh, so if I don't make it three episodes for Absentia, yeah. you know it's not good. Yeah. I mean, again, my the, the gist of my assessment of, of uh, The Rookie a couple episodes in is that it's perfectly fine. Um, but you know, I don't know if I really want to like perfectly fine. What does that mean? Like if I'm sitting on the couch and it's on, then I'll watch it. Or are you DVRing it? Or is it like must like where you actually have to sit and watch it live? No, I was going to say, I've watched it live, uh, every time. Um, I have found it easy to look at my phone during the commercial breaks. Uh, you know, like I, I would, I don't know if it's worth seeking out. 
Uh, and you know, again, certain times, sometimes shows, it takes them a while to kind of get started and all that kind of stuff. I guess what I'm saying is if I'm Nathan Fillion and I have, you know, I've, I've just finished Castle um, and I've got, assume, lots of lots of opportunities, I'm not quite sure what made this show so great and, and the one that he had to pick. But the second thing I'm kind of thinking about is... Um, yes, why this project? Well, again, like, it may be part of the problem is that somebody, you know, every you know, you and I are watching football. Maybe we can talk about football here for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, every, every CBS, Fox, every network seems to have like a million cop shows. Right. Police procedurals. And, you know, like SVU is still on. Uh, Dick Wolf has done every, I think he's, I think the next one's going to be, you know, Chicago Sanitation Department because he's running out of things in Chicago to do shows about. Um, you know, it's a, uh, there's just a, um, sorry, three, two, one. Uh, I, I, you know, I just don't know what, you know, I, I, you, if you watch enough police procedurals, you can figure out that the, the, the big name guest star is the guy who did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause he's got to have that dramatic confession scene at the end. Right. I mean, it, it's, right. You know, okay. It, it's First tough. Of all, I want to let our listeners dramas, know. Same thing with legal dramas. I want to let our it, listeners know that what, what, what Jim just did there was count himself down so that Dave could edit out the. That's the right. Dave's spot. not here. Oh, that's gonna Dave okay. is not here. Um, so yeah. And, and that seems like a great time to break in and to lift your spirits with a ghost story that is epically told on Netflix. If you have Netflix, do not walk, run, sit down with your family and watch it. No one under teen years, I'm guessing, um, just because of the nightmares that it would probably cause. Um, But it's so good, and it is called The Haunting of Hill House. Now, I need to tell you that there are many multiple versions of this. It was a book. There were several movies done. And this is the Netflix styling of the eight-hour movie, right? Where they break it down and tell you the story over the period of time. And I will tell you, it is one of their best. And I'm a horror critic because I'm a horror fan. There are very few good horror stories and ghost stories out there that keep you locked in, my God, even for an hour and a half. Let alone, this ended up being a 10-episode series that I loved and have already begun watching again to make Mr. Bias watch it because he's a big scaredy cat. But I want to watch it again, so I'm going to watch it again. I just keep using him as an excuse. <laughs> I was gonna say, do you feel like... Um, I, I feel like every time I go on Netflix, there's a lot of stuff that's in that horror, true crime, uh, dark... Like, like, is that what the, the the shows that I've looked at, or does this really feel like this is kind of the the wheelhouse of Netflix these days? Um, no, I think one. I think that time of year has a lot to do with it. Okay. Um, you're gonna see a lot of the stuff come out around Halloween and in the fall. You know, the bewitching hour. Um, I think that's a big part of it. But I also think that it's based on what you've been watching. So you just told our listeners a uh, lot. Um. Yeah. But the thing I will tell you about Hill House, it is a great story. It's exceptionally well done as far as production, exceptionally well casted, specifically the younger cast. Um, And I'm not going to give away any spoilers. I don't want to do that for anyone. What I will tell you is that if you enjoy a good story that unfolds slowly but is worth the payoff and, um, and you get a little, you know, Goosebumps along the way. This is the one you want to watch. Um, and it's The Haunting of Hill House, and it's on Netflix. And it, I literally started at gym, and I watched like four hours at one clip, and mm-hmm. then had to sit down and watch the other four hours or whatever wow. it ended right. up being. Yeah, like I had to finish it in two settings because I had to know how it was going to end. Excellent. All right, that's that's about about as enthusiastic an endorsement as you're going to get. Yeah, now, absolutely, the... and totally worth it. Okay, the other. Um, show that you, we had uh, mentioned earlier. I, I've, I've now heard from several friends who liked the old Sabrina, the, the mm-hmm. teenage witch, mm-hmm. and were intrigued. I um, known you were going to ask me about this. Well, because I mean, yeah, okay, so and now there, certainly there are certain reviews, certain discussions that basically make Sabrina, Sabrina, the teenage witch, uh, sound like it's basically a full-on sales pitch for Satanism. Um, basically make it sound like the most spectacularly inappropriate for kids or even tweens um, I'll show stop that, you when uh, you say something incorrect. 
All right. So there you go. Okay. So, all right. So there we go. The, uh, the damning reviews and perhaps quite literally damning uh, reviews are, are accurate in your, your sense. Yeah. Oh, wow. I was a huge fan um, of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, the original. This is not that. This is the creepy adventures of Sabrina. And it is my understanding that there was a comic book that both shows are based on. I have no idea which one is like closer to reality. It's the Archie crowd, right? Yes. 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 Um, And so a lot of people were excited because they're watching that Riverdale show. Um, Riverdale, sorry. Um, It's a, you know, kind of like a dark Archie. So a lot of people were kind of looking forward to like a dark Sabrina. As I was, um, I was fine with it going dark. Like, you know, want to see a new telling of it. Again, I'm a huge fan of the others. So I'm in. Um, in fact, my sister and I sat down to watch it together. We were so excited about it. Like, the minute it was available on Netflix, we sat down and started watching it. And it was by far one of the worst things that I have ever witnessed on TV. And I say this. I've watched bad things on TV. I've watched Steeler games for years. Um, and some of them were really horrible and painful to watch. This thing was really, like, it got to the point where it was almost creepy and you felt like you needed to pray after you watched it. Um, because in the first episode alone, I heard no less than three Hail Satans. And they were used non-ironically. Like, in, in most cases, right, you watch a lot of these witches and warlock shows. There's still good and evil. Like Harry Potter, there's still good and evil. And the one that you're cheering for might be a witch or a warlock or whatever, but, like, charmed, right? Yeah. They never hurt the innocents. They were there to protect them. They were witches, but they were good. Same with Sabrina, the original. Not this crowd. These witches... um, yeah, these witches actually worship the devil. They want her to sign the book of the devil. Like, there's talk of the beast. There's showing of this goat-like creature. Um, there's a black baptism. It is... And, and here's the really bad part about it. If it were entertaining, I'd still watch it. But it's not. It's really lazily written. Um, and it, it's just, again, the acting's not quite right. And maybe it's because they get the feeling that the tone's not quite right either. Mm. Um, But it's just not quite right. And again, the tone is horrible because you can handle dark, right? We've we've seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Good Lord, I watch True Blood religiously. Right. Right. So like a little bit of winking towards the camera. Yeah, I mean, take a lot of the edge off. and, uh... And there is literally no comic relief. On top of that, because on top of having zero levity, that they do, in fact, worship Satan and eat babies and humans, we find out relatively early. They call us lawn pigs or yard pigs. Um, That it's also, like, the worst, wokest, social justice warrior, like, diatribe (laughs) trope that you've ever heard in your life. I mean, she's suddenly like Sabrina the Feminist Witch. Uh. And, and, and one of the episodes involves a, um, a, a obviously, a, a young black girl who goes to read a book and can't find the book. And guess what the book is? The Bluest Eye. Uh. And it just goes downhill from there. They start a group that's like this whole, like, I don't know. We'll call it a feminist group. It's girls standing up for girls. It's like their version of now if it were ran by Satan. And it's called Wicca. You realize these guys know. Go ahead. Mickey, do you think they are uh, ignorant and oblivious to the traditional concept of Satan being a villain in a story? Like, do they watch The Exorcist and root for the possession? (laughs) Or are they. Uh, or, or they, this is a this is a genuinely malevolent television series attempting to give a young audience here's the upside of Satanism, and uh, you know I, I'm Anton I Levey, and I feel message. like in saying with everything that I'm saying, like Sabrina rejects a lot of their ideas, right? That's part of it. Okay. Sabrina rebels against a lot of their ideas, but it doesn't matter because you still have to watch it. And, like, that's all good for Sabrina, but it doesn't matter. You still have to see it. And this is not what I signed up for. 
Um, not in any way, shape, like there was no, again, I expected like in, in this case, like she might do spells, you know, that were actually for personal gain or there might be, you know, like murders and stuff that she had to solve or be involved with or whatever, you know, a darker version that way. Mm, I was gonna say, you, you can tell a ghost story like Casper mm-hmm. or you can tell a ghost story like the ring, <laughs> right? Know? like this, there's a big range in there. Uh, but if you're using the the brand name and the identity of a show that was, I mean, I didn't really watch it. What, it was, um, who, who was the star of the old show? She became a kind of a teen star. Melissa like, Joan right? Hart. All right, Melissa Joan Hart. Okay, There were the stop. two ants, right? And the talking cat. Well, and, was, and there we go. You just said the magic words. There is no talking cat. Salem doesn't talk. And one of the most important parts of me loving the original Sabrina was that the cat talked and the cat doesn't talk. I was like, dare I say that elements like that are what makes supernatural shows like that charmed? No Mm -hmm. pun intended. Uh, But that's another one where the charmed has recently returned to the airwaves and correct me if I'm wrong, Missy, uh, uh, Mickey, because I know that was one of your favorites. Loved it. When, when charm was on the air back in the nineties, I want to say, right? Mm, Late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was like, oh wow, your absolute favorite Alyssa Milano's returning back to television. <laughs> and I know how I know how well you've been getting along lately. Um, oh it's my so God, Shannon is coming back I to television. I do love her so much. Like I adored her in Charmed, and I just thought she was great as a person. Like running all, you know, I love women in business, and she had all these things going on with the NFL and baseball and her own lines. And I'm, you know, I'm impressed with all of that. And well, obviously she's turned some kind of weird corner. But anyway, well, I say when people say, you know, why do people care? When uh, what what do you care if celebrities get, you know, more are more open about their political views and stuff? Well, you know, uh, because somebody like you who is a huge fan of who's the boss and charmed and everything else, like you know, all of a sudden she's battling you on Twitter, right? Like this is this is not where either one of you expected. Never to be. meet your heroes on yeah, Twitter. You know, never never meet <laughs> your heroes. Um. Shannon Doherty, who's she going to fight with on this cast, right? Because the reputation from 90210 was that she was this, uh, this you know, monster. I don't think Holly Marie Combs had that much of a reputation. Um, but I, I was, I also, not that I watched it much, you know, Mrs. Campaign Spot did, but I'm going to point out that the it had the most realistic plot twist of all time when the malevolent demon who was supposed to kill all the witches suddenly realized that Alyssa Milano was hot and he didn't want to do that anymore. Yeah. Was it was it Balthazar? Ball or something? Balthazar. All right, you know. And he's like, oh, wait a second. I like her. Never mind that. Yes. And that's when he became his human sense of Cole. And just thinking about him makes me all warm in the special spots. And it it, you can hand wave away his performances as Doctor Doom in those god awful Fantastic Four movies. But anyway. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I ended up watching like every season of Nip Tuck because of him. Uh, not everything needs a grim and gritty reboot. And, you know, I'm trying to, you know, like, um, but but not everything that we watch is grim and gritty and dark for the reasons that we've just talked about being like ghosts and death and Satan. I mean, there are certain people who line up for punishment every week by watching this is us. And Ah. now you've told me that there's another one out there trying to do the same thing. So, um, so uh, the show is Million Little Things. Spoiler alert. Um, it's been a couple or a couple episodes in, so I'm going to ruin some stuff about the pilot. In fact, the first five minutes of the pilot, so you've been warned. So Million Little Things is very clearly a, you know, ABC saying, quick, get us a get us a This Is Us clone um, about a group of friends just going through real life things and, and problems and things like that. Um, and it's, it's, you know, the, the cast is fine. I think what most intrigued me was Ron Livingston, the star of office space, one of the greatest comedies of all time. And, um, then five minutes in Ron Livingston kills himself. <laughs> he, he jumps, jumps off a balcony and all this. Oh, this is a show about suicide. Oh, oh, this is, oh, be- this is a show about them all getting back together and remembering. Yes, it's, it's, oh, it's, it's okay. like, uh, the big chill, except, uh, you know, and, uh, and I was, I was like, gonna oh, say, the big chill. It's been done a couple of times. Cause there was one done with female cast. Yep. And it's a, you know, this is about, it looks like there's like three or four couples. Um, they all live in the Boston area going through different, uh, challenges in life. And it's, it's all, perfectly another show that's perfectly well done 
Uh, I would even say gripping and, and you know, well-acted and well-written. Um, you know, somebody's dealing with uh, addiction. Somebody's dealing with uh, real challenges in the marriage. Um, somebody the else is having their own. That was the female version. Yeah. Uh, existential despair and contemplating suicide themselves. You know, uh, there, there's you know, it's it's big, meaty, dramatic stuff. And Mickey, I just at the end of the at the end of the day, I don't want to deal with it. it it's well done. It's it, it, it's like watching. It's like looking at a really well prepared meal of food that you just don't like. Now, let uh, me ask you this: mm-hmm. Does Mrs. Campaign spot like This Is Us? She uh, so we watch we on a recommendation of the friend and and also of you we watched the first episode of This Is Us, and uh, she bawled a river. Uh, Mickey, I had allergies. Any show that begins with a dead baby is a <laughs> that is that is not easy to go through. So another yeah. one where I, I'm sure it's well done. Everybody I know loves it. Everybody raves about it, and God bless it. Um, but at the end of the day, put the kids in bed. I. I, I want to see the Flash running around punching supervillains. I want something yeah, hot, lighter and happier. Yeah, I don't want it either. Same reason. Like, I remember talking to you about it. I don't remember. I probably even talked about it. Well, it was a Pittsburgh show, which made you yeah. like, oh, okay. You know, you it know. was set in Pittsburgh. I was really excited. And then you end up watching and you're like, ooh. And I'm the type that, one, I don't really cry at these things, but they do annoy me. <laughs> and that worked. So I stopped watching that. So so let me ask you this. Obviously, is this a tearjerker? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a tearjerker coupled with um, almost soap opera esque, uh, you know, twists and turns. How's the writing? Because they have a really solid cast. Yeah, I, you've I, I got would... um, you've got the guy from Psych in there. Yep. Oh, in a you know, in a very serious role that you you know, I'm I'm waiting for the goofy guy from Psych, and uh, let's just say he is acting his ass off, Mickey. He is right. he's going everything he can to blow up. Uh, was it? Was it Sean yes. Speederman or whatever? You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, the, the sets, the the mood, the mu- everything is done very well. Um, I just rarely find myself saying, I want to feel 60 minutes from now more depressed than I am. Uh, and unfortunately, when your show is very much about uh, somebody killing themselves, not really understanding why somebody killing themselves, the idea that he left little notes. It's almost like 13 reasons why. Oh. For the middle-aged set, uh, so it's it's, it's 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 thirteen reasons why meets thirty something. Yeah, there you go. Actually, that's a very good way of putting it, Mickey. And that's you know, just not going to be a cheery hour of television. Um, I remember somebody recommending thirty something, getting stupidly buying the DVD. Never let me do that again, Mickey. Um, hmm. And just after like one episode, I just I hated all these characters. Exactly. I just wanted to throw things at <laughs> the television. <laughs> Outstanding. Yeah. So, okay. They are out for me. I'd love to hear back from our listeners and I'm certain that we will because I know that it's very popular with other people, not us. Um, One other show I wanted to mention is Making a Murder is back with a second season on Netflix again. Um, If you like the first season, you will love the second season. Um, If you've been following the story, you know that while you definitely feel like you get more answers this go around. You don't necessarily get the satisfaction that you want. So just kind of keep that in mind as watching it. Um, and I would also let you know that Michelle Malkin is heavily promoting Catherine Zellner and her, you can find her on Twitter at Zellner law um, because they're working on constantly working on cases for wrongful convictions as part of the innocence project am i crazy make like, on the one hand I, I, you know you and i had discussed this earlier and it sounds like once again well done gripping um but i almost feel like if i'm gonna want to watch a show like that knowing that the case is still being fought and has not been resolved is a little bit frustrating like maybe i understand maybe they put this out there and they want the public to uh uh kind of push this a little bit but um it's but, because but, I, I think there's a couple of reasons why they put out the second episode. And I think there were some people who actually complained that the second, I'm sorry, second season, <clears throat> excuse me, after this, we'll talk allergies. Mm. The second season specifically, um, I think some people complained um, that they thought it was a little slow, maybe wasn't quite as like, wow. I read some, one of the critical reviews suggested, you know, how do you shock an audience twice? Um, I think you shock an audience twice by having a what you thought was a really good lawyer 
in the first season become replaced by what I believe to be possibly the greatest defense lawyer of all time. (laughs) And she has different angles and comes at it from different ways than those people did. And you realize if she had been representing them in the first place, this, we wouldn't be here right now. Mm. And down to some very basic evidence that could have been questioned. But I think the one thing that it teaches us more than anything is one, that once you're in the system, it's very slow to get out. Mm. So I think that it may be hopefully teaching people to really exercise um, that Fifth Amendment right, their Fourth Amendment right. I mean, they really need to take advantage of the rights that are provided to them as an American citizen. And and so lawyer up, that's all I'm saying. Well, I was going to say, I remember having this conversation with you uh, in our previous format that like, it was during, you know, one of the... The, the Russiagate controversies or something. Somebody had said, look, if the FBI asks you questions, just answer them honestly and you won't get in trouble. And, uh, you know, tons of people who are very familiar with the legal system saying, ah, uh, no. Nope. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, think your honest answers can, you know, depending on what the, you know, the motivation and mood and the, the way things look to the investigators, you know, you could get in trouble. You could do what you think is the right thing and find yourself it um, happens way too often. And and again, you know, I, I watch Discovery ID, you know probably better than most. I will watch it 24-7 if I can. Um, although, you know, it, it, it's just the way it is. I love this stuff. So in watching it and seeing how police officers act, there are great cops out there. And there are some really questionable cops out there. And I think that even good cops can sometimes go too far when interrogating a suspect because they believe or have a preconceived notion Mm -hmm. that this person did it. Um, And it's the of the utmost important utmost importance as you being sitting there in the chair opposite them that you simply say, I'd like a lawyer, please. As I said, the, the system gives you that protection. Um, and Am I under arrest? Because you know, if you're it, not under arrest, you can just like get up and leave. Yeah, but you know this the, the, the very intriguing interpretation. Same way that like um, pleading the fifth is now in certain circles is interpreted as a guilty. Yeah, well, you're guilty, right? I mean, like you know, the idea all of a sudden certain legal protections are now. Um, if it ex- comes between the court of public opinion thinking that I'm quote guilty. And me actually like going to jail, screw the court of public opinion. Yeah. So I don't care what looks good to them. I'm going to do what's the best thing for me. So we are coming close to the end and or when I have to uh, jump off on another call, Mickey. So how are your allergies? (laughs) Bad year. It's supposed to to be a bad time of year. I thought spring and, and winter were when allergies were bad. Well, you know, again, you, my allergies have gotten much, much worse um, since living in Virginia over the years. And over the last two years, I've started getting these fall allergies. And I'm actually planning to go to an, an allergist and an ear, nose, and throat doctor. Uh, because, yeah, but it's gotten, again, it's every year. And so I'd love to hear back from listeners any ideas that you might have. I've tried a lot of everything um, from... Uh, every kind of of uh, allergy pill to every type of nasal spray, which, by the way, Jim, those are much trickier than they look on TV. That's all I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I have a significant amount of trouble putting the little nozzle up my nose and then squirting it up in there because <laughs> every time I go to do it, I move my head. Like, I know it's coming, and so I move my head, and then I end up squirting myself in the eye. Someone needs to hold you down. Yes, yes. Put it up her nose. I actually asked Mr. Bias to do it as he's laughing hysterically at me, and he said, no, I won't hold you down. Nope, (laughs) nope, nope. Because I couldn't stop myself from doing it. I want this to be indisputably consensual nasal spray. Yes, exactly. And the thing about it is, is like, you know, this stuff isn't cheap. And I went through, like, three bottles in three days because I could not get it to actually go up my nose. (laughs) <laughs> and he still would not hold my head down. Oh, yeah, that's, a, that's tough. I'm sorry. Yeah, to hear. So, yeah. So I do apologize if I sound a little rough, but um, hopefully we'll be through this soon. And uh, 
the spray will work and the allergens, <laughs> the allergy pills will work as well. All right. Well, it, let, here's hoping, Mickey. It's been wonderful to have you back. Hopefully our audiences will uh, come back with us and, and re rejoin us. Our schedules are still in flux. We'll do our best to kind of have these conversations more regularly. Uh, I understand people prefer the old format and the ability to download it and put it on. Was it Spreaker and SoundCloud? Gonna, it will be up on SoundCloud.com right, forward slash Jim and Mickey show. And you're going to put it up on iTunes. Yes, we're, we're going to do it the best we can. So and uh, we'll and, if, and one form or another. Oh, yeah. If, if you like hearing us talk to each other, you're going to like this. And, and there will be changes as we move forward. But for now, this is what you've got. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. And you've been listening to The Jim and Mickey Show. <laughs>